Hello and welcome everyone to Variant Perception's January Market Outlook call. Uh, my name is Aaron, I'm joined by Tian, and as usual on these calls, we'll try and discuss some of the nuances around our views. Uh, we'll try and recap just some of the key charts uh, that we're watching um, and uh, hopefully answer some client questions. So please um, please do click the Q&A button if you do have any questions as the call goes on, um, and we'll try and respond to any um, outstanding queries afterwards. Um, so just to recap everything, um, through 2022, we had been pretty much cyclically bearish on equities um, through most of the year. Um, and we were using a lot of our tactical indicators to really just flag some of the bear market rallies. Um, and, you know, as we start 2023, the key message is that we are risk off for at least the next six months. Um, you know, again, absent any kind of policymaker panic. Um, but reviewing our LEIs, um, you know, the cyclical backdrop is pretty much as negative as it gets at the moment. Liquidity leading indicators are still making fresh lows. Our growth leading indicators are tanking quite quickly. Um, and the key marginal shift um, that we noted last month was that our US recession signal had triggered and it remains active at this point. Um, and really just to dig into that, um, effectively, uh, our, we review recessions as very much um, regime shifts and in this regime that we're in right now, it's telling us that there is a much heightened risk of um, cascading equity drawdowns and this kind of real economic damage. Um, and this is really a regime where you typically see these feedback loops between soft and hard data. Um, so as an example, you see things like credit spreads starting to pick off from their lows. Um, and then that kind of inevitably leads to some more hard data stress as companies struggle to roll over financing if the growth backdrop is very poor. Um, and then as that becomes more and more evident, um, then you see credit spreads start to widen quite a bit. And um, that restarts these feedback loops and it can cause spreads to uh, blow out very, very quickly. Um, so this is pretty much the regime we're in as, um, as governed by our uh, recession signal and LEIs. Uh, the key thing now is really just to understand what asset prices are discounting um, and try to flesh out some of the timing of a policymaker response. Um, so with equities, um, you know, pretty much rallying 20-30% off their lows, um, married with how bad the cyclical backdrop is, um, for us it, it makes total sense to be underweight um, US equities at the moment, um, underweight US high yield credit, where a lot of the pricing looks quite complacent. Um, and then I think, you know, what we've picked out from our 2023 themes was that, you know, in terms of the areas where there is most complacency, where we're trying to, again, try, try to identify the areas that are most vulnerable to a cyclical um, downturn. And at the same time, there is still some complacency in, in pricing and analyst estimates and so forth. Uh, what we found was that names linked to the bullwhip effect reversal, these are kind of CapEx industrial names. Um, it does seem as though margins, um, are pretty elevated and analysts expect that to continue going through uh, this year. Um, those to us look like very interesting short candidates. Um, and in terms of relative value, in terms of the long names that we identified, I think the key thing is that, you know, your typical kind of recession playbook does tend to favor these defensive food tobacco names. Um, and then when we looked at some of the market pricing, you know, not only just um, uh, earnings estimates and so forth, but also using some of our tactical tools just to understand how much room is there for inflows to come into some of these areas it does seem as though that there is, um, you know, these areas aren't fully um, kind of bid up at the moment. So there is still room for that to um, 
uh, to hold out. Um, and I think something that was quite interesting as well is that um, you know we've we've done a lot of work on the capital cycle, which is more of our structural two to three year um, investing view. And what we found is that actually there are some very beaten up cyclical names like home builders, for instance, that, you know, obviously as you, you're going through a recession, these may not be immediately obvious long candidates, but, you know, given where um, expectations are for earnings and, and margins and so forth, um, some of the names do to kind of offer that, that aspect of just kind of closing your eyes and sitting through and um, kind of letting the valuations uh, re-rates after the, uh, the policymaker panic. Um, so really the game plan to get back into risk assets, as we've laid out on the slide and in, in our latest macro snapshot, is, is kind of a three-step game plan where number one is we want to see evidence of policymaker panic and actually see um, an easing response. Uh, number two would be a, a surge in some of our buy signals. Um, and as a reminder, this is all up on the portal. Um, you know, you can type in equity signals triggered. Um, and that you can kind of get a sense of where we are today relative to other market bottoms. And, you know, right now, uh, nowhere near um, what we're seeing, what we've seen in previous market bottoms. And the third thing is really confirmation from our LEIs and recession signal that the, uh, that the worst is over and we can start to see things like excess liquidity turn up. Um, in terms of timing, I think, you know, generally we would peg that at the second half of this year, it's very difficult to see it, all of that line up in the first half, given where LEIs are today. And given that, um, you know, we've we put the analog in that the Fed has never finished its hiking cycle until the real policy rate is positive. Um, and in, with respect to market pricing with the, the terminal rate, that does seem fair in that, you know, we'll get to middle of this year. And it's only at that point where the real policy rate can turn positive. Again, looking at our US inflation leads, um, so in terms of um, just kind of diving in a little bit into the, um, you know, essentially how can this recession unfold in the first half of this year, um, really the, the story is um, that the long leads uh, that we're tracking, things like building permits and housing, um, these were starting to de deteriorate in kind of July, August last year. Um, and really, it was a case of waiting for some of the shorter leads to catch up and show stress. And that's more linked to the consumer. And uh, really, we saw that happen in, um, in December last year, where, um, you know, we, you can see on the top left chart, um, hard data stress really started to pick up at the same time as soft stress um, being, being quite stressed out. So um, that was enough to trigger our recession signal um, in uh, on the 1st of December. Um, so right now, as we stand, again, refreshing the data, it does seem as though it's very likely we're at the onset of a U.S. recession. Um, obviously, the you know we're not right now in the depths of a recession, so the coincident data that you're seeing right now is not going to be that awful. Uh, but the key thing is that there's enough stress right now in some of the leading data to, to say that activity has most likely peaked. Um, and some of the key things that we've highlighted again in recent reports is that, you know, in uh, December 2007, um, when we first entered the the kind of the MBER recession, um, it took a while for the activity to really show up, to show that kind of damage in the in the economy. And obviously markets were, were slightly more resilient in the first half of 08. Um, but then you saw the kind of the catalyst start to really um, push that down. Um, and so we... We see a similar sort of dynamic at the moment where, you know, a lot of the coincident data doesn't show a lot of stress, you know, um, you know, even today we saw initial jobless claims surprising lower than expected. But actually the key thing when we're tracking recessions and peaks in activity 
is that you want to smooth out some of this noise and look at some of the year-on-year -year or even six-month trends. Um, so that that top middle chart there shows that big surge off the lows. Um, we're looking at things like challenger job cuts announcements as well, just to um, confirm some of the leading data and uh, give us a, a clearer sense of how this recession can unfold and how much damage we're likely to see. Um, but, you know, classic signs like, um, you know, the building permits drawdown, bottom middle chart, um, you know, these leading series look incredibly poor right now. Um, and I guess now it's just a case of understanding, just moving on to slide four, um, in terms of the shorter leads and looking at the, um, the data linked to the U.S. consumer, um, just trying to understand how the U.S. consumer can really um, can really roll over from here. And I think the key thing to note is that um, given where our leading data sits, there is a lot more downside than upside right now. Um, you know, looking at some of the long leads, things like the credit cycle, um, you know, banks are much less willing to lend to consumers. Um, looking at some of the shorter cyclical leads, things like real income growth and discretionary spend, um, these have looked to peaked and are sort of starting to roll over pretty sharply. Um, and some of the high frequency data that we're tracking, so the top middle chart, just looking at um, effectively how our households coping across the income spectrum with paying their bills. These are showing big signs of marginal distress at the moment. Um, and then the, the other key thing that we wanted to, to flag as well is just this thing about the services, goods divergence. Um, you know, obviously now ISM services has printed sub 50. So um, you know, I don't think the, the argument that services could hold up was um, had much weight to begin with, just given as we know that services spending isn't actually that cyclical around recessions. So if you just plot the raw services line around recessions, it doesn't really deviate from much from trend. And really the key thing is you've got to track the more cyclical components within the consumer um, because that will actually give you a real-time recessionary read. Um, and so, you know, when we're looking at company transcripts and various other reports on the US consumer, you know, even some of the banks are telling you still there is a lot of savings, excess savings there. I think the key thing to note is that you know, this is still very lagging data released with a lag, uh, potentially can be revised quite heavily. Um, you know, when we're looking at the leading picture, it looks a lot more negative. And I think this is really where we're, we're expecting the, um, the, the rollover to come from. Um, so I think, you know, with that in mind, I think Tian, we, um, it'd be useful just to, um, hear from you, um, in terms of, you know, where, where could we be wrong on this U.S. recession thesis? Um, you know, things like GDP now tell us that I think it was, uh, you know, printing at like 4% plus. Um, you know, in terms of these counter arguments, I mean, what do you think is uh, the main way we can be wrong here? Um, yeah, so obviously I've done quite a lot of work on the GDP now this week. So that'll go out in um, the portfolio watch report beginning of, of next week. But But the key point is that uh, if you strip out the very volatile pieces of it, so you can break down the the, the number by um, sectoral contributions. So if you take out things like inventories, take out things like net trade, then the underlying picture in terms of private sector consumption and investment, that, that is actually slowing down. And I think it's also important to note that um, you know, amongst other Federal Reserve regional banks, right, they also have now castle models, the Philly Fed does, um, the St. Louis Fed does, and a lot of the other Fed models are actually also a lot worse. So, you know, I dug into the methodology quite a lot. And, and the key point is the, fit, the Atlanta Fed model is not 
wrong, right? In the sense that it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And what it's doing is it's tracking all the different components of GDP. But the problem is GDP has very volatile components quarter to quarter, things like inventories, right? Things like trade. And so that was obviously one of the issues with um, the first half of last year when GDP printed negative and, you know, the Atlanta Fed thing went below zero then because it had a very big kind of downside inventory response. So if you strip it out, you'll generally end up with a much cleaner picture of kind of the, the, the slowdown. Um, and then it's a lot more in line with a lot of the other kind of regional Fed models as well. So, yeah, that, that's just the first point there. Um, again, I think the key thing to observe from here is that, to me, the behavior of pretty much all the data is, is as you would expect on the eve of the reset, on the in the first months of the recession, right? To your point, in terms of the leading lagging relationships, I think the key though is, is the key point now is whether the more coincident things does follow up, right? Like the, you know, the job layoffs and these things, that's obviously going to be very critical in, in the coming uh, weeks, because uh, obviously data is ultimately released with a lag. So realistically, it's probably going to be what, March? before you really start to see more widespread data stress. Uh, uh, so I still think we're in that window where at least right now things do make sense. Obviously the main pushback is on uh, the consumer and the labor market holding up. But again, it's a lot more unequivocal now that the leading data for both consumer and the labor market is showing more stress. Obviously we have the left-hand chart here with um, temp workers. So, you know, both the, the, the kind of ASA staffing index and the temporary help, right? They've both gone to zero. So, you know, it's showing you that you know, these things are slowing. The fact that consumption for goods and services have been above trend for a while, then, you know, there, there's not much upside from here. So, um, yeah, I, I would say right now, I, I think we, we would, I would classify as we still have quite high conviction in our models in all the data we track, because it's all pretty consistent. You know, the, the divergences are, you know, to, in my mind, explainable. Uh, so the key is in, in the coming month or two, we really want to see, uh, you know, if we go back to some of those previous things, right, we really need to see if the, the data evolution continues, right, because obviously it's going to be volatile month to month, but the underlying trend of stress is pretty obvious. So we'll, we'll see, um, we'll see if this, this basically keeps up. So, so you know, I, I would say that's kind of where, where we are. Um, so, so in terms of the the coincident data then, Tian, I think, you know, we've been writing about, you know, markets are still uh, pricing in the inflation scare. Um, eventually, they'll start to price in a recession scare, at which point, you know, you can see the kind of risk asset drawdown and so forth. And that's when, uh, you know, a max overweight in uh, US treasuries, I think, will really start to um, to, to pay off. But um you know what? What would you think of the data points that would allow the market to, you know, fully shift away from inflation scare to recession scare? I mean, is it things like, you know, ISM, you know, printing sub forty, for instance? I mean, um, or is it more things like, um, I don't know, some of the U.S. consumer data that really needs to show damage? Sub forty would be really the depths, right? Presumably, it'll be it'll be too contrarian mm -hmm. by then. Yeah, I think it's probably like two parts, right? Now the market is clearly trading the inflation peak, obviously had the number today, you know, all the kind of noise into it. Obviously we've got it up here, right? Where pretty much all the cyclical indicators of inflation, i.e. next six to 12 month outlook does confirm like quite a, a strong rollover. Um, so obviously this is distinct from our structural three to five year view, right? Where, you know, when we put out the age of scarcity thematic, where we do think structurally there's gonna be higher equilibrium level of interest rates, equilibrium level of inflation. Um, 
linked to basically political economy. But obviously for this year, clearly, you know, at the margin, there's going to be a lot of rollover uh, in terms of inflation cyclically. So you probably get the initial um, inflation relief, right? And that's kind of what, what, what's been happening this year. So obviously we saw the, you know, as we put in the snapshot when we, on the first day back, we had all those um, tactical buy signals trigger on tech, on tech names. So you ended the year with selling exhaustion on tech names. Um, and obviously our, um, our cumulative flow um, indicator S&P, the top left on slide five here, that was also at quite a low level. And then you, you had you know, all these inflation leading indicators peaking. So that kind of does suggest it's reasonable that we get a bear market rally, some excitement to start the year. It might even last a month or two. But then I, I would think by February and March, the data, if there's more widespread signs of data just deteriorating, and then you know from that point you probably get more of a uh, a more of a shift towards the the weaker growth story versus the the weaker inflation being good for equity story, All right? So you know we'll see. That's kind of in my in my head a very rough um, uh, kind of timing uh, right now. Um, but yeah, it feels like right now it, until that happens, there's not going to be a massive shift in surprise. So we're probably going to be rain trained. Trading, right? If you're going to be more tactical, you're probably fading both sides right now. Um, just because the Fed is not going to turn around and start cutting immediately, but the Fed fund's trajectory is somewhat fairly priced, right? Versus where we, when we think CPI gets below five. So, you know, they could get to five, 525, and just hold that, right? And, and that's that's pretty well discounted. I know there's some cuts priced in for this year, but, you know, it's, it's kind of, that seems pretty accepted. That, that seems like a, so, a so yeah. So, I mean, given that and your, yeah, your comment that, you know, likely to be range trading, the tactical signs, I mean, I think I would view it as much more mixed relative to your viewpoint, just because, you know, that flow chart that you brought up there, um, you know, it is starting to pick up quite rapidly off the lows. Oh, yeah, um, and at the same time, um, yeah, yeah, we can look at it here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if we bring up the uh, the tactical outlook model as well yeah so that red line there that's um you know we're tracking that through december that really collapsed so you know as you said suggests a bit more room or in other words it kind of gives more potential for a bear market rally to form i think the critical thing now is for that actually to be realized i think we do need to see a surge in buy signals as we did see uh you know end of september mid-june but i don't think we're we're quite there yet at all um so i view the tactical picture as being quite mixed still and then obviously cyclically bearish um and then you know we put in the report as well if you do want to express downside from here um you know what we're seeing in eurozone equities um you know looks a lot more tactically negative um you know our tactical outlook model is very very red uh we're seeing some sell signals trigger as well you know the rally off the lows has been i think you know 30 35 um so for us you know if you do want to express downsides um and carry these kind of portfolio hedges i think that makes a lot of sense but Going back to your comment on, um, you know, effectively being in this kind of range trading environment, um, you know, at least with the, U with the US, um, I don't know, does anything kind of screen as, as top of mind for you in terms of what looks actually interesting right now, long or short? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we can just go, go to some, you know, these are kind of my current favorite charts um, that I'm kind of tracking. So the obvious themes are, you know, when does our market bottom checklist go up towards nine? You know, where we're in terms of US, Europe, China recession, um, obviously the inflation role of uh, excess liquidity, mm -hmm. uh, China, right? So I think that from a kind of top down macro point of view, those things are, are, you know, I think we've all hit on. I think this is a very key chart uh, that we put in the report where the global policy stimulus 
i.e. the second derivative of policy stimulus is still very negative, being weighed down by the US. And you know, on the GDP weighted basis, it's so much bigger than the China impulse right now. So I think from a global point of view, the China reflation isn't going to really work, according to this. But obviously, for China domestic, there is, um, you know, I've, I've actually spent quite a lot of time looking into kind of the China reopening analogy to the US. And I think there is probably a, a decent potential for um, for, the, for China to follow the US path in certain sectors, right? So if you look at the US, even though there was like a surge of pent up demand on leash, right? I mean, that's the, the narrative. In real terms, it wasn't particularly widespread, right? What you obviously led to was a lot of inflation uh, so that the dollar value spending all these areas went up a lot. But in real terms, it's things like hotels, food, right? Those are the things that actually had like a revenge consumption element that went above trend. Things like durable goods during the pandemic with the excess savings went above. But lots of things actually struggled to get back to trend in real terms. So, you know, I think the takeaway from the US is that it's not going to be like a blanket uh, across the board um, kind of reopening revenge consumption everywhere, right? It's going to be probably a bit more isolated. I think that the bits we found was like clothing, clothing had a big rebound. Um, obviously hotels and restaurants had a big rebound and then food spending generally goes down because people basically spend a lot more in food uh, during the lockdown essentially. Um, so, so then, you know, obviously we'll, we'll plan the report next week as well. So there, there are some divergences between um, China and the US. In, in particular in China, in terms of the consumption basket, durable goods is a much smaller percentage weight Mm -hmm. in the overall spend you know in the chinese consumption basket sees a lot more spending on non-durables like food um so i think that there's also a bit of a, a, a divergence there so in theory for the same kind of mild excess saving that maybe china chinese durable goods has a bigger potential to rebound right but um yeah so, so obviously we'll, we'll lay out the, the, the charts there so i think yeah within china within certain china consumer exposed areas then obviously you see the rebound but you know, it, it's, it, it seems like as of right now, in our data, you, you, it's not going to be particularly, uh, you know, obviously the, 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 the news is good, but in our data, at least it, it doesn't suggest it's going to be like a 09 or like 2016 style kind of mega, mega rebound, right? I mean, obviously we can, you can visualize it very easily here. You can see that, you know, in 09, it was like a joint global effort where obviously China was a huge piece that's sustained in 2010, right? In terms of the red bars here. In 16, China was reflating. There wasn't any negative drag anywhere else. So, you know, you know I think that's why overall we're probably somewhat skeptical on the, on the China is going to help reflate the global economy uh, this time around. But obviously that divergence is one to keep an eye on. Um, you yeah, know, I, th I think we, you know, we've been writing, um, yeah, just, you know, watch our China LEI um, and watch for the, for the upturn. Yeah, I think we said this at the very start of 2022 is that, you know, this could be the, you know, reflation savior um, that never occurred through 2022. So, you know, it kept us cyclically bearish, um, you know, where we are today, where, you know, it looks as though with the China LEI, it can I don't think it can get much more negative uh, compared to where it is at the moment. So, you know, in the in the view that, you know, a month or two from now, we might see the uh, LEI upturn, um, you know, does it make sense to, uh, and, you know, we've been writing this in reports that you need to wait for this as cyclical confirmation to buy Chinese equities, you know, given where prices are today, um, you know, we've seen a huge surge off the lows. 
Um, do you think it still makes sense to chase that rally higher, um, you know, assuming we see um, a China LEI upturn very quickly or some policymaker announcement that would, you know, force up our stimulus impulse quite a bit? Or do you think there's, um, you know, there are other trades to, to express that view that perhaps not pricing it as aggressively relative to Chinese equities? Um, well, I'm, I mean, I guess implicitly when we're doing our themes, we end up highlighting Brazil as, as a long right within equities instead of China, just because of um, the starting point, right? We had our we had the end of the LPPL crash in China beginning of November. Obviously, we put that in the macro snapshot. We had the rally. You know, we, we recommended the FX, FXI core flies. You know, that 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 would actually done you know pretty well. But I think once you had that initial wave, we were probably more of the mindset to buy the rumor, sell the fact, and then move on to some of the the bits that haven't reacted as much. So this is probably more a um um. You know, more looking at China link stuff, right, than in China outright. Because I think if we look at China, yeah, like you know, a lot of these flow proxies, right, you're getting back up to where you were during the previous kind of you know bear market rallies, right? Like in the previous mm -hmm. phase of excitement in terms of cumulative flow. Now, obviously, because the start of a new year and people allocate, then maybe there's a, a bigger wind tailwind of, of assets to come back in, right? Because obviously, if you look at it from a I guess a longer term basis, right? Like obviously, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of flows through us. So obviously it depends on in, in your time horizon. So I think there's an element of that there's more flow coming in. So I wouldn't necessarily say you want to stand in the way and short it, but in my mind, there'll be some kind of opportunity to get get back in when it's kind of a bit more aligned. Right. I think, you know, I think it was a lot more obvious when all our models got aligned, right? Like on the way down, obviously, oh, this is China small cap. So, you know, for China large cap, whatever. You can obviously for us, we really want to pay attention when this, when the kind of score goes above three and higher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, you know, going up to like five and six is just telling you every single model we have is basically long, right? So, you know, you, you'll get some very, very strong signals. And obviously, since then, it's, it's, it's much weaker signals. So, um, yeah, I think out around China is probably slightly less interesting, and dollar CNH was probably similar, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you got a much stronger signal before, and now it's kind of you know back into a neutral range, right? You can see you know, the, the number itself. Yeah. Mean. So, um, one thing I was looking at, and this was like something I'm trying to track, is actually um, uh, pound Aussie, as I think quite a nice, interesting expression, where basically the reason we noticed that I noticed this was because we were scanning through um, you know, our, our basically all our lead indicators. So, you know, just like the, the dashboard of the lead indicators is very noticeable how bad Europe's growth lead indicators look right now, in particular, the UK one is, is um, also, you know, just caught my eye as being very bad. And yeah. um, and we noted that even though Australia is slowing down in relative terms, it's still actually in positive territory and inflation and Australia is obviously seeing, um, you know, inflation's rolling over, it's going to have the China link. So I think that was yeah. one where, you know, when I was looking into it, it did look like potentially that might be an interesting setup, right? Obviously, you want to see, you know, obviously this did go, go red, but it's not a particularly high score. So I think we're just tracking it uh, for now, right? Obviously, I, you know, if, if the flows and stuff get more extreme, then it, that might be a very nice setup. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I think it, it's just, it's one of those tricky things where, you know, you, you, you need to weigh up your, Kind of risk control in terms of your tactical tactical exposure versus cyclical, right? I think it's unequivocal if you look at our six month plus tools that it looks very bearish as a setup, but it's just tactically lots of things suggest that there's room for, for like 
you know, some kind of risk on play. So I think that that's the tricky thing in, in terms of striking the balance. Um, so yeah, I think recession probabilities, right? I think this is still remains a very interesting way to at least compare across assets, right? If equity is already pricing 50, 60% of a median drawdown, then obviously it's, it's less interesting than, you know, hence why we're more, a lot more. Yeah, to, to me, right, yeah, it's just the the big standout is, yeah, the 10-year yields and US high yield, right? I mean, when we're looking, you know, not only at the cyclical picture, but also some of the credit cycle indicators, where spreads are today um, looks very, very offside relative to that fundamental backdrop, right? Um, so, you know, the way I think about it is that, yeah, you got the chart there, right? Just, you know, even just looking at corporate cash flows, you know, you strip out buybacks and, um, you know, various capex spend and so forth. Um, you know, where that red line is, you know, where it's been historically has been a really powerful lead on on credit spread blowouts. And, I yeah, I, I'm just thinking about the sequencing with which, you know, this can happen and, you know, drive another leg lower. Do you think it is, um, you know, effectively the the earnings downgrades and the you know downside revisions so forth i think they are starting to happen at the moment but um you know what we've observed at least at market bottoms is that it, it is a lagging process inherently right analysts have to wait for for companies to almost guide them lower um you know i when when we're trying to at least think about the timing of this and you know we'll obviously link that to the the policy maker response of when to get back in um you know i, I how how are you thinking about i guess how how bad how bad the cyclical backdrop can get in terms of you know obviously this is not like 08 or like even 1929 where you know you had a, a systemic um you know systemic risks and contagion and so forth um you know we have seen already some excesses clear things like the spac bubble you know crypto and so forth um you know do you do you see you know is it is it just simply you know high yield and corporate credit that looks you know relatively complacent right now or are there other areas you know we've talked about um you know housing before we talked about privates as well um but i don't know are there any other kind of hidden areas of, of excess that might lead to this um spread blowout to happen a lot faster than perhaps otherwise uh you know would naturally occur just given where the data is right now well, I think I think that the I think that the, the the tricky thing is that the way the recession plays out will be a bit path dependent, and the policy response will have a a big part to play. So the OA and, and 1929 is more; those are more like arguably there was like policy mistakes in there, where it, it kind of exacerbated the downturn. Right. Whereas you know, it was, I remember 2020 being asked the question, "Is this like the Great Depression?" Right. And I remember it's like I remember just saying like, "Well." For it to be a great depression away, like you have to assume policymakers haven't learned their lesson, and we'll have have policy mistakes where policymakers don't actually ease and attempt to kind of you know reverse a lot of the unwinds, right? So I think from today, it seems like it, it doesn't seem like policymakers are going to make those kind of mistakes, right? So it's going to be contingent on when they want to step in. Obviously, they've they've somewhat uh, handicapped themselves that the inflation numbers really need to come off before they have some room uh, in the U.S. at least. So. Um, I, I think that that's where you know, you know the, the the risk is that if they hold off for too long and you and you let um, some of these feedback loops kick in, then then it it could you know it, it'll be some hidden area that that you know maybe we don't see right. You know, argue 
it doesn't look like it's going to be the banks, right? Compared to 08, banks are much, the bank balance sheet is looking a lot better shape uh, coming into, into this one. You know, the banks hold a lot more US Treasury than assets versus like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the kind of uh, low exposures they had before. So, you know, but, you know, a lot of the credit's gone, you know, away from the banks, right? Like you have funds, you have, um, you know, non-bank financial players, right, who've been involved in a lot of the uh, kind of credit creation, probably holding holding the exposure. And so it's, it's a bit unknown exactly how how that plays out. Um, but yeah, I think this is something we, we probably need to um, do, do, some, do a bit more uh, work on. Um, yeah, I think it's a bit hard to say right now. I think, you know, the, the, you know, the things we put in the report are probably more thing, areas of conviction we think are going to be interesting, stuff like, you know, the, the gold buy, the gold fundamental yeah. buy signal going off, right? That's like a pretty long-term, you know, bull market indicator kind of thing. So those are probably the areas you think, you know, you would think are going to be suitable for this environment where things are more aligned. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a, I, I don't know, right? Do you have any thoughts on kind of the areas of access that haven't blown up? Um, yeah, I mean, if you just bring up our um, house price leading indicator, I was I was looking at this earlier today, and it looks, you know, very very bad. Um, you know, it's it's in yeah, you got it there, right? Um, yeah, I mean, where that red line is, you can kind of trace it back to you know almost the depth of the GFC. So I think again, you know, this comes with a health warning, right? A lot of our leading indicators are optimized for the turning points. It's not necessarily optimized for for the levels. So you know, where the red line is doesn't necessarily mean that U.S. house prices are going to be, uh, you know, printing minus ten. Uh, minus 10% year on year. But I think, you know, give it, and, you know, this relates to our home builders thesis as well. You know, we know that the structural capital cycle um, is still quite positive. There's been, you know, a decade of underbuilding and so forth that would provide more of a cushion relative to GFC, of course, you know, where, uh, you know, you just had crazy excesses. Um, but I think, you know, relative to some of the household data, you know, looking at the, the, you know, household balance sheet data, right? It just affects their, their debt profiles. It, you know, optically, it looks a lot cleaner, um, you know, relative to, you know, previous deep recessions. Um, however, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm, you know, starting to, you know, deep, you know, I think, again, we need to do a bit more work on this, but, you know, where these areas of complacency are, you know, may well be in the in the housing market that then spills over to, to other areas, right? Um, you know, at least, you know, that's that's my first, um, you know, when I look through these leading indicators and trying to understand, you know, where the where could be the, the greatest damage as, as the recession unfolds, where could these recessionary feedback loops, um, you know, happen quickest and happen deepest. Um, it does feel as though, you know, the housing market is quite an interesting, um, interesting candidate for that. Um, I guess, yeah, one one thing that we should probably discuss just before we wrap up, um, you know, in terms of, I think there has been a lot of um, talk, you know, with respect to the the U.S. Treasury market in terms of, um, you know, the Fed having to effectively step in at some point this year, you know, before they actually cut just to provide liquidity. You know, the uh, U.S. Treasury might, you know, you know, there's a huge funding shortfall and so forth. And, you know, Woods, I mean, in your eyes, Woods the Fed stepping in to effectively do this kind of stealth QE, would that constitute a policymaker panic? Um, and, you know, would that be step one of our game plan to buy back in? Or is it something a lot more fundamental as, you know, the Fed effectively has to cut rates for us to see that 
uh, that panic response finally kick off because, you know, I think, you know, we've got some of the money market charts on the portal, but, you know, the way I see it is that, you know, for us, um, you know, a, a liquidity response via uh, the Fed stepping in is not really the the panic response we want to see. Um, I don't know how, if you see it differently, you know, just again, thinking through some of the sequencing, if this happens, you know, earlier than than rate cuts and so forth. Yeah, it probably depends on the on the, um, the implementation, right? Because I think the, the the problem with the QE QT, the impact on liquidity um, discussion is that it's not being a you know the Fed's control of the money market reserves has not been the binding constraint for a while. So if um, it was a if it's a constraint, then basically a lot of these things should trade above the RRP award floor, right? So this is the thing we're tracking where. Um, if a lot of repo rates are trading below it, that still suggests like an excess of reserves in the system. Now, obviously this is a bit better than, than kind of last year right now. Um, and I think the, the Fed's um, RRP balance is, is going down, right? Yeah, yeah obviously it's peak, a uh, huge level in yeah. to roll over. But yeah, I think the, the, the problem has been if you look at QT and, and the changes, right? It's basically bank reserves going down, bank deposits going down, right? It's not, it's, it's been happening kind of somewhat independent of the Fed a little bit. Obviously, they, they, they're reducing their UST and BS holdings. But the key is that these bank reserves are also somewhat impacted by just you know, animal spirits, right? You know, credit creation, in particular bank deposits, right? So that, that's just gone down. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just more that there's kind of a, uh, a risk of you know, bad animal spirits anyway. And that's causing the liquidity to, to shrink. And so you know, that, that's obviously dragged um, risk assets lower. And you know that's obviously what's driving a lot of these things, right? To, to really low levels. So yeah, yeah I think um, you know the Fed will need to do something that ultimately arrests animal spirits, right? Because otherwise, that that is the kind of pushing on the string element where you know if you put more reserves in the system, it, that doesn't necessarily cause banks to want to lend more, right? Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily create uh, more loan demand or or more demand for credit. Um, yeah, so I think right right now, obviously, all the kind of excess liquidity stuff is still quite poor. So, yeah, I think for me, the part that's making panic would be, you know, you would know you you know it when you see it in the sense that it will be some kind of announcement that causes a big yield curve steepening, right? You you would, you know, presumably like like that will be the market confirmation, and in terms of what they do, yeah, it will be some kind of declaring victory kind of kind of a statement presumably right that that's kind of going back to the 1984 analogy we had last year that we've been uh flagging as well where the fed basically tells you where terminal rate is and then they get to terminal rate and then they tell you we've hit terminal rate they tell you like we, we, you know victory over inflation and then from there things things can start getting better and obviously with all the you know if you look at inflation cyclical stuff right i mean it's all like you know in the us anyway rolling over quite hard right um uh yeah yeah okay yeah i think that's a yeah that's a good time to to leave it off um i don't know do you have do you have anything else tian uh yeah no i think you know to summarize i think six months plus i think you know underweight equity overweight bonds playing for that bond now performance makes sense on the one month two months i think there is room for like a a, a bear market rally in tech and in, in, in equities and um but reality is we're probably going to be rain trading for a bit until you know we see some data deterioration, right? According to our framework, you know, come come uh, February, March. 
yeah, that, that'll probably be the yeah, sum. Great. Okay. Uh, thank you, everyone, for for dialing in today. Um, we'll post a um, a transcript. Um, we'll put up the recording on the portal uh, over the next couple of days or so, and uh, we'll see you next month. Thanks very much.